was in the garden, the garden known as Gethsemane, formerly a personal, private place of prayer, but now forever to be known as the place where he was betrayed. After a token resistance by Simon Peter, and Jesus stopped it, the disciples all forsook him and ran away. The enemy bound him and took him to Caiaphas' house where he faced a preliminary hearing of sorts. And to the dismay of those that captured him, there was no evidence to be found of wrongdoing. And although it's not recorded in Scripture, it appears that part of the normal process to house prisoners that were awaiting trial was to put them in a pit beneath the house of Caiaphas. Now we know nothing of the night, but in the morning they took counsel against him in order to put him to death. And when the pieces that they needed didn't fall into place, they took him to Pontius Pilate. Now Jesus was an uncooperative inmate, to say the least. He didn't fall in accord with what they were used to, and he responded very little to their accusations, mostly stayed silent. Pilate, Pontius Pilate, with no intention of finding Jesus guilty, no intention of corroborating the desires of the Jewish people, he offers the compromise of putting Jesus up against a notable prisoner named Barabbas, thinking in his mind that with this, with this terrible man, there's no way they're going to choose him over Jesus. It was Pilate in one of his many uh, sissified ways of trying to get out of this responsibility he wants to, to make it so the people can't do anything but release Jesus but to his surprise when he offered the two uh, convicts if you will as one to be released they cried give us Barabbas and to Jesus they said let him be crucified Pilate was aware of the grave injustice that was being committed he scourged Jesus, which is gave him a horrible beating, and then released him to be crucified. Now this may come as a surprise to you, it did to me. Jesus' scourging would not have been done according to Jewish law, which would have limited his beating to 39 stripes, but it would have been done according to Roman law, of whom Pilate served, which had no limits. This flogging was known to have brought death to the condemned before they made it to the cross. This scourging and this flogging, this uh, uh, debilitating attack upon the body and the mind and the heart and the spirit of Jesus was designed to make the punishment and the death of the cross even that much worse. It was from the flogging that they take him and they strip him of his clothes and that means exactly how it sounds. In ridicule and shame and embarrassment, attempting to greater degrade him and humiliate him, they placed a scarlet robe on him, which was a, a, a mockery or a slam at his claim to be the king of the Jews. And, and they wove a crown of thorns, placed it upon his head, of course mocking him as the king. They took a reed, which would have been just a, a long, thin uh, um, uh, stick that would, would come from the riverbank and, and they put it in his hand as a type of scepter 
and then they bowed their knee before him in ridicule and shame and mocked him by saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they took a cloth of sorts and they blindfolded him and they slapped him in the face and they said, Okay, prophet, if you're so powerful, tell us who it was that hit you. They spat upon him and they took the reed and they smote him in the head with that stick. Then they stripped him of that scarlet robe, put his own raiment on him and led him away to be crucified. Matthew 27, 32 says, And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, a country in what is near what is now known as Libya, northern Africa. They found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled him to bear his cross. Today, under the authority and the unction of the Holy Ghost, I will minister to you from this subject. Don't overestimate my weakness and don't underestimate the unity birthed there. Don't overestimate my weakness and don't underestimate the unity birthed there. You see, it was not unusual to get somebody, help me Holy Ghost right now, it's not unusual to get somebody to help carry the cross because so powerful and so uh, damaging was the scourging that they often required assistance for the condemned. And it is important to note that the word compelled to Simon the Cyrenian is not a word of request but a demand. They forced him, they grabbed him, they impressed him into service to help carry the cross. You see, the urgency for help was not on the part of Jesus, but it was on the part of the soldiers because they were afraid in his present state of weakness that he would not be able to make it to the top of the hill in order to be crucified. The soldiers who are representative of the enemy want to make sure that Jesus goes all the way to Golgotha to the place of the skull, to be crucified on Mount Calvary. And to that, I tell them today, no worries. They fear to be concerned that he's not going to make it to the place of his crucifixion. And to that, I say, no worries. You see, Jesus was weak. Jesus was down. Jesus would hurt. But this, this trial, this weakness that he's going through, it's not going to kill him. You know why? Because he was born for this. He was born to go up to the top of Mount Calvary. He was his destiny. It was his purpose. It was the fulfillment of his earthly obligation. He was not going to die in this weakness. The enemy does not decide when you die. The enemy does not decide when you surrender or when you give up or you're defeated. The enemy does not have power over you. So whatever you're going through, whatever you're struggling with, to this I say, no worries. No worries. Jesus was weak. Jesus was down. Jesus was hurt. But this, it was tough. It was a struggle. And no way do I mean to belittle the pain and agony and struggle that Jesus went through. But he wasn't going to die here. See, he was born for greater than this. He was born for Calvary.
I will not die here. I will not die here because coming out of this struggle, that's not my destiny. Coming out of this trial is not my victory. I will not die here. I was born to die on top of that hill. And I will live until I get there. Now except for this, except for this occasion, Jesus stood alone. His friends forsook him. Every disciple left him. He stood alone. The enemy saw him weak. I said the enemy saw him weak. Can I get a witness in the house right now? The enemy saw him weak. And in the enemy's mind, he might not make it. In the enemy's mind, thank you, they were fearful that he wasn't going to make it. Let me tell you something, honey. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. Amen. Amen. The enemy overestimated his weakness. His weakness was not to destroy him. But it was in his weak state, in the weakness of his body, that the stage was being set for unity to be born. When the Savior was weak, and I want you to notice this, when he was thirsty, he said, I need a drink. When he had anything needful, he said it. But he didn't ask for help carrying the cross. It was the determination of the enemy that said, you need help. Because we want to make sure that you go all the way to complete punishment, complete humiliation, to complete degradation. It is going to make us happy when you have spoken faith. But yet it looks like all hell has broke loose in your life. When you preach hope, but it looks like that a hopelessness is the king of your life. When you preach vision, and it looks like you can't even have enough to, to see to take one step in front of you. The enemy won't to make sure that you go all the way to where he thinks your destruction will be found. But I come today to let somebody know you better not overestimate my weakness. You better not overestimate what I'm going through because this wasn't designed to kill me. This was designed for me to give birth to a vision that I was created for. Can we clap our hands under the Lord and He wasn't going to fade. He wasn't going down here. He was made for this. He was made for this. I'm going to die, but it won't be here. Brother Mike, if you'd get the word for me. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. And I'll stop you from time to time. It's not an insult. That when I do this at home and if I stop them, everybody thinks I've hurt their feelings. Just read for me till I stop you. And he said, and he said unto me, can unto you hear me. the word of the Lord this morning? Read. My grace yes. is sufficient for thee. My grace is enough for you. For my strength. Read. That's the Lord's response when Paul came to him in prayer and said, I got a problem that I need to be delivered from. Yeah. And the Lord basically said, Learn to live with it, brother. Wow. 
because I'm not getting rid of it. But my grace is enough. Look, the Bible says in Titus 2 and 11, the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. Somebody needs to say right now, I think he's talking about me. The grace of, that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. And everybody has been given the measure of grace according to Ephesians 4 and 7. And I come to tell somebody today, if he never answers not one more prayer in your life, if you never see one more moment of victory in your life, his grace is enough. His grace is enough. Feel Holy Ghost moving in this house right now. I would to God that this message would sink into our spirit and the enemy is not going to know what to do with some people that say, I don't even have to be delivered. I don't even have to have this prayer answered. The hand of God is upon my life and His grace is enough. If he never answers another prayer, please be seated. If he never answers another prayer, his grace is enough. Amen. We're still going to make it. Amen. Read. For my strength. For my strength, that's his strength. Is made perfect. Is made complete. In weakness. In your weakness. For God's strength, the Greek word dunamis, which means ability to perform is fully perfected in my weakness. His strength is complete, fully realized, hits the mark. We never see him in his operation more clearly than when we're weak. Read. Most gladly, therefore. I'd be happy. Since you know this, I'd be happy to... Will I rather glory in my infirmities? To glory in my infirmities. You talk about hell getting into emergency mode. When you take everything they've got to offer and you still say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. When you still, you don't live. Hear me right now. You don't have to rebuke the devil. You don't have to talk to the devil. You don't even have to engage the devil. But when you take everything he's got to throw at you and you lift your hands and declare the sovereignty, the power, the glory, and the beauty of Jesus Christ, hell does not know what to do with you. Well, somebody needs to stand up on the word of God right now and step out in faith and say, I will not die, but declare the work of the Lord. My God. I told you, I told you, something's coming forth. Amen. I claim it in Jesus. Please be seated. I will glory in my infirmities. Read. That the power of Christ that the power of Christ may rest upon me. May rest upon me. Stop right there. Oh, I looked it up. And I nearly wanted to run the aisles in my bedroom yeah. or in my office or wherever I happened to be when I looked it up. I looked it up. That the power of Christ. You said it, brother. That the power of Christ, we're talking about something different than the creative power of God. We're talking about the obedient, submissive power of Jesus Christ. Obedient, submissive power. The world don't know nothing about that. 
said, I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I looked it up, Pastor Blankenship. Ooh, I looked it up. You know what that means? That means he's going to pitch a tent over me. It means he's going to dwell over me. You know something, Brother Donald? That gives new meaning to thou art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. And that means that as long as I'm weak and as long as I'm struggling and as long as I'm going through hell, that the Lord has pitched a tent up above my head. And even if I don't feel him, the word of God says he's there. The word of God says he is with me. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against it. Somebody hear me right now. When the enemy comes against you, he ain't looking at you. He's looking at who's above your head. And up above my head, there's music. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Up above my head, there's power. Up above my head, there's hope. He pitches a tent and moves in. And as long as I'm there, he's there. As long as I'm in my weakness, his perfect strength lives above me. Please be seated. Read. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's already proven the enemy don't want you hearing that. The enemy don't want you hearing that you can rejoice in your weakness. And rejoice in your struggle. Somebody who's watching online right now who can't be here today because this wretched pandemic has invaded your home, you need to stand up off your couch or off your lazy boy right now and say, thank you, Lord, for this infirmity. Thank you, Lord, for this disease. Thank you, Lord, for this virus because I'm about to see a blessing that I've never seen before. It took this weakness for a promise and a vision to be birthed in me. This ain't the devil working. This is the labor pains of victory. In reproaches. In reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in, discretion, in distresses for Christ's sake. There it is again. There it is. For Christ's sake. He was the example. He surrendered. He submitted. He obeyed. And the enemy thought it was going to kill him. He wasn't dying right there. He wasn't dying right there. Oh, Lord, help us. Read. For when I am weak, For when then. I am weak, then. Then. There's something special about the strength that I receive in my weakness. My. Then. Read it, brother. Then I am strong. My. It looks like. I'm defeated. It looks like I'm weak. All that's happening is the stage is being set for me to experience the fullness of God in me. Yeah. 
You just think you've experienced revival. You just think you've experienced victory. You just think you've experienced some blessings of God come to pass. I come to tell somebody this morning that the blessing that is being birthed in you, the days of the past, even last week or the week before, will pale in comparison to what God is going to do in this church. And he's going to use you to do it. Don't overestimate my weakness. Please be seated. Thank you, brother. The enemy makes his biggest mistake when he overestimates my weakness. When he gets giddy and excited over the power of my infirmity, it causes him to lose sight of who's up above my head. Don't acquaint my standing with God by how you see me now. Do not acquaint where I stand with God by how you see me now. Because when I fall, I shall arise. And when I arise, I will not stand on the same ground I fell from. But I will stand upon the word of God because the word of God says when I am weak, then am I strong. I will die, but I will not die at your hand nor on your timetable. I will die, but it won't be here. Don't overestimate weakness. So weak did Jesus appear that the enemy decided to force somebody to help him carry his cross. It was a stranger. He was a guest in town. He was a visitor in town. And this cross has come to symbolize the hope for all of the world. When Simon carried the cross, he held in his hands the tool by which the door to salvation was open to every human being who ever lived. In the enemy's mind, the, the, the helper, the one that helped carry the cross, was to ensure the full extent of anguish and pain, to ensure that the humiliation of the cross would be experienced to the fullest. All they did was introduce a soldier to the army of God. There's going to be somebody rise up and help you in your weakness. That the enemy put them there to contribute to your failure. But God did not allow that to happen. But he's bringing you a helper that you would not have received if you had not went through the devil's struggle. told you hear the word of the Lord this morning everything surrounding the death barren resurrection of Jesus Christ was divinely orchestrated and the fulfillment of prophecy with that being said we cannot assume that the choice of Simon was in here right now that the choice of Simon we cannot believe that the choice of Simon to carry the cross was at the devil's discretion, that it was random, or that it was a coincidence. Your enemy doesn't have that much power. Scripture doesn't record it. I'm thankful, blessed of the Lord to have been in Israel in 2016 to have seen this journey and to see these places, and I encourage you, if you ever get the opportunity, go. It'll bless you, give you a new vision, new direction of the Word of God. But they leave out of Jerusalem, and it's first downhill and then uphill to Golgotha. 
Jesus has stood alone, completely alone, rejected by everyone that he held dear, by those to whom he had invested his entire three and a half years of ministry. They're all gone. And he stands alone but for a stranger. And just as the enemy over, overestimated the weakness of Jesus Christ, he underestimated the power of unity birthed in his weakness. Mark 15 and 21. And they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. That means nothing to us. Mark's gospel was written for the benefit of believers and primarily Gentile believers. And it was also written after the fact of the, the occurrences. And the names of Simon's sons have been added to the narrative for effect. Not our effect, not our benefit, but for those who were hearing the word for the first time. Alexander and Rufus, from all appearances, became prominent members in the early church, the sons of Simon. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 10, which any apostolic knows that Acts chapter 2 uh, declares the birth of the New Testament church. And in verse number 10, which lists the onlookers who would become participants, it says Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Jude, Rome, Jews, and proselytes, there were men of Cyrene at Pentecost. Acts 11, 19 and 20. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they came to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. When persecution of the early church ramped up, they went everywhere preaching the gospel, and right there with them was men of Cyrene. Acts 13 and 1, now there were in the church that was at Antioch. Antioch being well known because that was the first place they called us Christians. It wasn't meant to be a term, a complimentary term, but a derogatory term. It was meant to be an insult. But what the enemy meant for evil, God used it for his good. Look at here. And pre-prophets at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas. And Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene. You see, there was a relationship established on either end of the cross. It has been said that one manner of carrying the cross was that Simon would have held the front, or Jesus would have never stopped carrying the front, but that Simon would have just went to the back and picked up the back and helped him. Luke's writings in Luke 23 and 26 says, And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country. And on him laid, they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. Luke 9 and 23, And he said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus was not dying on the Via Della Rosa. He was going to die on Calvary. But it was on the road of suffering that he gave birth to a heritage, 
to a legacy. And from then on out, we've never heard of Cyrene or the men of Cyrene in Scripture until they called Simon out of a crowd and said, you carry his cross. But from that moment forward, everywhere there was revival, there was a man of Cyrene. So stop focusing on your enemy and start focusing on what God is doing in your life. It may have been at the coffee shop. It may be at the grocery store. But your, weak, your weakness has weighed you down. And your weakness has caused you to struggle. And your weakness has caused your mind to be a little convoluted and a little bit distracted. And you're going to fall to your proverbial knees in the line at Walmart or at the grocery store. And God has prepared somebody who is going to be into your life at that moment. Who is going to step into your life at that moment. And they're just going to reach down and help you carry your cross. The enemy views the cross as judgment. The enemy views the cross as hopelessness. But I come to tell you today in the Holy Ghost that the cross is going to be the place where your greatest ally is going to join your fight. And he wouldn't be there if you didn't go through the struggle. The weakness that heaven allowed Jesus to show was for the enemy's benefit to introduce a new player in the game who every step of the journey was going to be found shoulder to shoulder with the disciples of God. The men of Cyrene are not mentioned before Simon, but after Calvary, they're always there. I felt something.